Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. It was Monday, April 10, 1995, and the Cronulla Leagues Club was the venue for a public forum for each side of the war to put their cases forward. Among those at the podium was arguably Super League's biggest signing, the recently retired Australian captain Mal Meninga. It was a chance to put forward the players' perspective on the benefits of Super League and settle a rowdy crowd. Instead, in just 16 words, Meninga managed to create a frenzy. This is the letter. The 15th chapter in the Rugby League Digest in-depth investigation of the Super League War. Welcome back to the Rugby League Digest. I'm Michael Adams here with Andrew Paskin. How's it going, Andy? Over the moon. Okay, good. That's a, a change from the usual state of affairs. So <laughs> I, I like the energy. <laughs> uh, this chapter, the letter, is in many ways a companion piece to our last chapter looking at the media fallout of the Super League War. The difference in this one, though, is this is micro-focused on one very specific event in this fallout. Of course, Mal Meninga's speech at the Cronulla Leagues Club Forum and the ensuing meltdown that occurred afterwards. So... Do you have any memories of this event at the time, being an old Raiders fan? I do. I remember the fallout. It was all through the schoolyard too. A lot of crook theories were getting thrown out, <laughs> I've got to be honest with you. But an early insight into the gaff-prone Mal Meninga. <laughs> <laughs> and at the time, did I guess you were still you know, making your, your way to your pro Super League stance. Did this have any effect in your viewpoint? I was just defending Mal. I love Mal. always have. Greatest Raider ever, fresh off the fourth kangaroo tour. Yeah. You know, could do no wrong in my eyes. I was like, you know, they shouldn't have had him up there. You know, <laughs> basically just propagandizing for uh, Mal. So uh, Mal really took a hit over this uh, and it became pretty ugly throughout 1995. We're going to look into all of that. I want to start by just looking at Mal Meninga in early 1995. So he'd retired after that kangaroo tour. And was very much at a crossroads as far as his future went. And this was something that was really on his mind a lot. And I think he brought some of that with him to that Cronulla Forum. He saw the bright lights of the House of Representatives (laughs) beckoning him. Uh, So we're not going to get that far ahead of ourselves (laughs) in this chapter. So he was vocal in saying that he wanted to stay involved in rugby league. He didn't want to be lost to the game. He wanted to keep a presence and have an active role in the game. And that was something that would be given to him by the ARL, he thought, at that time. So he'd been speaking with Arthurson and Quayle about the potential of a job. And in his mind, that was all settled. That was what he was going to be doing. Part of the problem is that I don't think even he knew what that job would be and what sort of role he was even suited to. Well, I love this, the uh, entitlement of football players. Like, well, if they'll throw me a job, who cares what it is? <laughs> yeah, exactly. As long as I'm getting paid for doing F4. And you can see that even the way that he was talking about his post-football life. So in his book, Menenga, he said, There were obviously opportunities to remain involved in the game, but I was aware that I was not really trained to take on any of them. Whatever I did would mean buckling down and learning new skills in the middle of a football season was not the time to do that. My future was put into the too hard basket until the end of the kangaroo tour, where there would be enough time to contemplate the options, <laughs> which, which is reasonable thinking, but then to just wait until that's all done and then go... Okay, I'm here. What what do you got? But like, why can't he think about his future <laughs> for an entire calendar year? And in speaking of his disappointment, he said, the ARL said there was a place for me on their board. They said that, but I had to ring them about it. And when I did, they said, sure, Mel, ring again when you're ready. Make an appointment and come and see us. But I was ready then. That's why I rang. But they threw it back into my court. It was all up to me. I could tell there wasn't any enthusiasm there. Whenever I hear about footballers and their jobs for the boys' jobs, it's like, it's such a burden. Yeah. 
just the entitlement of their whole lives. You know? Yeah, exactly. And and I do I do struggle to have sympathy for Mal's plight in this regard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and but anyway, so he said that he didn't have any enthusiasm from the league about the job. This is countered by Arthurson and Quayle, who said that you know we very much wanted him to be involved. Why wouldn't they? The guy's a living legend. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, he was there to launch their season in early 1995. So I guess from the league's perspective, it's we want you to be involved, but maybe there was no urgent sense that that involvement should be something that was, you know, being a constant presence to the league, having a role Monday to Friday. And, I mean, if you look at the history of his post-football life, it took him a while to find a job that he was suited for in rugby league. Like the 90s is a, a series of missteps, basically. Mm. He did okay as Canberra coach, but I don't think that was ever going to be his long-term future. I'm surprised it wasn't, though. I mean, like the game with the greatest players don't make the greatest coaches. Yeah. But I thought he did a pretty good job. Mm. But so he was very much in a listless place in his career, as many footballers are at the end of their playing career. And so at this point in this environment, News Limited came to him with an actual job offer. This was working for Ansett. And this would involve training and equipping him with some of the skills that he felt were necessary. So the News Limited offer was something that was concrete, something that would help him develop. And having not been met with an enthusiastic response in his mind from the league, it became an easy decision for him to take a role with News Limited. I don't want to trash Mal too much this early, but how petulant a comment is that? Yeah. I mean, they weren't even that enthusiastic. It was like... I had to ring them. (laughs) Uh, But to be fair... Ken Arthurson met petulance with petulance. After the decision to sign with News Limited was made, Arthurson came out and said, At the end of the day, the weight of money. I say to everybody, it's no good us getting into Dutch auctions dollar for dollar with Rupert Murdoch. We'd get blown out of the water. What's a Dutch auction? Like a regular auction? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But I I think that's pretty poor of Arthurson to basically question Mal's integrity and saying it was just about money he you know, got given money to go to News Limited when he didn't have an offer from the ARL yeah, to stay. Yeah, yeah, Just this, uh, we'll look after you, vagary. But I can see the hurt with Arco there, though. Just after all the yeah fanfare of the, of the 94 season. Yeah, the tour, exactly. And then yeah. see you later. Yeah, and him being the figurehead mm. of the game in the ARL's eyes. So he signed with News Limited at that point it didn't really have anything to do with Super League. So he was there to work for ANSET as far as he knew. Um, I, I don't know how often he reported to work at the airport or wherever their headquarters are. Uh, but pretty quickly, as the Super League development snowballed, his role with News Limited became being one of the faces of Super League. And I guess the idea initially was to have him out in the media quite a lot representing the cause. Uh, it didn't quite turn out that way. <laughs> This is one of the things that, like, obviously it's a chapter for a reason. Like, up with the vision and the Piers Ackerman incident. This is one of the memorable yeah, exactly. incidents. But I had it in my mind that everything was sweet and then he went to Cronulla Leagues Club and suddenly he was, you know, reviled. But really, as soon as Super League came out and he was seen to be on the News Limited side, that's when it started. Well, yeah, but that's where the propaganda started. Yeah. And then morons were riled up on talkback and... I've got a few of those morons. (laughs) Um, No, this first one isn't a moron. This is Sherlock writing in Rugby League Week, the week after April Fool's Day. Rugby League can be regarded as having ended as a sport on the day that Australia's retiring captain Mal Meninga threw in his lot with News Limited. That day, the game that JJ Gilton kicked off became something else, strictly business. But they signed everybody that ever pulled on a footy boot and they couldn't sign up Mal? Yeah, yeah. It's funny how much this one signing meant more than... The others, like even among active players, yeah, yeah. for some reason that Mal Meninga going to Super League became the you know the face of disloyalty and and all the rest of it. And Mike Gibson reported in the Telegraph on the seventh of April on the radio yesterday morning. I heard Mal Meninga described as sickening. It was a sickening thing to say. Players like Meninga and Stewart are greedy, just greedy. A talkback caller told Alan Jones what the caller was saying that since Mal Meninga made his living playing rugby league football, therefore he owed the game. In his opinion, Malmaning was a turncoat. That's the equivalent of copy and pasting people's tweets in news stories now. Yeah, yeah. A talkback caller <laughs> said this. Who gives a shit? Well, I do. I'm, I'm glad that that column was written because it gives you an illustration of 
the time and you can imagine that one caller multiplied by about seven trillion <laughs> that morning <laughs> so i'm not saying you're dealing with mensa candidates but i'm saying that this was what was going on yeah. so well, well that, before <laughs> that was definitely the sentiment out there. <laughs> so it was in this atmosphere that mal meninga headed to cronulla leagues club on the 10th of april to be a super league representative and give his pitch at a forum that was designed to give both sides the chance to mount their cases. So Ken Arthurson was there along with John Rebo. Then you had legends like John Raper, other, you know, old playing stalwarts there and the Cronulla board themselves, who at that point, even though most of their players had already been signed, the Cronulla board were officially uncommitted to Super League or the ARL. Was John Raper there to explain where and where he hadn't shed blood? (laughs) That was about the level of the discourse. (laughs) As we heard from one of our listeners who wrote about being there and having Billy Smith give a long-winded discussion about all his playing statistics before (laughs) saying, what are you doing to our game? (laughs) Legendary. So I just wanted to touch on that fact, the fact that the Cronulla board were uncommitted at this point. So the forum was put together as a chance for the fans and members to get that whole story. And at that forum, it was the ARL side who received the overwhelming amount of support. And similar to that footy show episode, the Super League side of things was shouted down at many points during the night. But you had the Sharks figures coming out and saying that we're not signed, but this looks like a pretty good deal. I mean, I'm experienced in angry mobs being from Newcastle. I'd like to see how the... The Sydney Super League mob is compared to your average Newcastle angry mob. (laughs) I mean, I couldn't see it being much worse than what we got in Sydney. (laughs) Uh, Obviously, we've discussed the Newcastle environment uh, at length. But but funnily enough, Peter Gow, who was there at the meeting, assured everyone that there was no truth to the rumours that he was, you know, involved and was pushing Cronulla to Super League. In the big league, he said... I'm just sick of the lies being told by the media. I was not in Perth signing players, and I will tell you that Cronulla is still linked to the ARL and will play in that competition, which doesn't really make much sense when you have Shane Richardson from Cronulla in Perth signing players <laughs> to Super League. So Technically, he's right. <laughs> so at, I don't have the date on me that Cronulla did officially align with Super League, but certainly this event can be seen as them putting their toes in the water and you know playing their hand just slightly. But think about the people that would attend this event. Does that seem like a pro Super League bunch to you? No, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. But at this meeting, you had Barry Russell speaking about the fact that Super League was Cronulla's only chance of survival. And you have to remember that they were the primest of prime candidates for amalgamation in this period. It's a shame we didn't get that. So John Rebo offered them one of the three Sydney licenses there on the night, which I think that maybe anyone who was there can... Uh, recount whether anything shifted in the room with stuff like this going on but you could see Sharks fans very quickly changing their stance presented with something like that. From a business perspective I mean my hands are tied right? Yeah. I'm sure if West were offered a license they would have jumped as well. Exactly yeah and Cronulla even more so than the Bulldogs have nothing to regret from going with Super League. There Mm. is no way we are talking about Cronulla as a team if they stayed with the ARL. I mean, how important was ET though? I mean, say ET had retired in 93 or something, would they even have wanted them? Yeah, yeah. But, but I mean, that's the thing. Like, Cronulla showed enthusiasm from the outset, which the other Sydney ARL clubs didn't do. So from, say, November, December on, they took initiative and actually approached Super League. So this meeting was already going along, you know, at a rollicking kind of tenor and a, a lot of shouting and all the rest of it when Mal Meninga got up to the stage and talked about why he was for Super League. And his quote was very short but did all the damage. I played the game for 16 years and what have I got out of it? Nothing. <laughs> did someone not proofread that? Surely to Christ, someone was going to have to proofread that. It seems that Mal like was left out on his own. And I don't know if maybe there was some coaching on what he should have said and it just slipped out, but... As far as not a good look goes, that's in the top echelon of not a good looks. But I know what he was trying to say. It yeah. wasn't that. No. It's just, it's Mal. Yeah. You saw his political press conference. Yeah, I mean, exactly. He's not uh, a great public speaker. Simple as that. No. 
It's funny because I watched his Immortals induction speech uh, in preparing for this episode. And even now, like, you know, 25 years after this speech, it was almost touching in how, how can I say this without insulting him, how not very good it was, but <laughs> it was Mal, it was yeah. authentic yeah, and yeah. he spoke from the heart, but that didn't lend itself to, you know, these eloquent statements on what rugby league meant. You had to kind of pull that from between the lines. He's one of the greatest ever rugby league players, not Peter Ustinov. Yeah. We're going to cut in some slack. Yeah, exactly. Uh, not much slack being cut to him this night uh, and almost immediately he realized the mistake he'd made. Uh, so later he said that he got in the back of a car and thought, I wish I hadn't said that. <laughs> uh, and on reflecting on it, uh, made maybe one of the greatest understatements of all time. Spreading the Super League message required the skills of a politician, not a footballer. And I was certainly no slick orator. <laughs> so he, he made that connection in 1995 in his book Meninga. So... He realised then he didn't have the skills of a politician, but somewhere along the way he forgot <laughs> that. So the reaction in the room to that speech was bad, and it was Johnny Raper in particular who argued passionately against what Mal had said. But I'm going to save that for a bit later in this episode and look at the reaction at large. So John Quayle said that the league office was inundated with calls the next morning about what Mal had said. I don't know why you need to ring up the league. <laughs> People used to ring places all the time. I'm ringing the Channel 9 to tell them Burke's backyard was in a... Well, I must say I used to ring up Channel 7 to complain about home and away storylines. You serious? <laughs> you serious? Yeah. That's worse than Sean McCray. <laughs> I didn't realise you were such a Mrs. Mangle. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what my mental state was at the time, but I'd like ring... Because I used to sit, I used to sit in the paper there you go, there was, there was 16 complaints last night about yeah. this show. I go, what sort of person rings up the TV station? Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> and so that reaction spilt over and basically characterised that public disdain to players who'd signed with Super League, this entitlement and this you know disrespect for everything the game had given them. And again, there's a kernel of truth in what Mal was saying that could have been phrased a lot differently and had a better result. And so John Rebo in that Inside Sport article in June 1995 wrote it this way. The comment Mal made that he got out of the game with nothing, what he meant was that when he finished playing, it was all over for him. The opportunities for superannuation weren't there. He believes that if someone does put something into the game, he should be able to get something out. There's got to be a partnership. That's what he was trying to say on the night, but everyone's misconstrued it. Wasn't super compulsory by earlier than that, though? Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just all phrasing. It's just He's just said something off the cuff really badly. Yeah. And it's come across in a soundbite form as gross entitlement. Yeah. But truth behind it, there are no bloody provisions for after football. Yeah. There was no enthusiasm for a job <laughs> entering them. And in the aftermath of this, the way it became so distasteful, this is where as a media organization, you'd hope for better guidance for Mal and a better plan as to what to do, how to respond to the situation. So how they responded was to largely shield him from the media, take him away from it, to not give him the chance to clarify, to make his point in front of a less hostile room. It's things like this that resulted in these robotic media-trained footballers now mm. where you don't get any authentic view or anything like yeah. that because of incidents like this. But when they finally did let him back in front of the media, it couldn't have gone any worse. <laughs> Appearing on a Sunday Channel 7 sports show interviewed with Roy Masters. It's not funny, but it's hilarious how much of a calamity he is in media. <laughs> so this was in late May, so almost two months after the initial appearance. So plenty of time to get that training from Hanset and hopefully handle the situation a bit better. Hanset had bigger fish to fry <laughs> the implosion of their company. But. And so for a while it was going, well, no controversy. But then right towards the end of the interview, Roy Masters asked Mal about the fact that the ARL had paid for his family to come over to England with him on the last kangaroo tour, to which Mal replied, why shouldn't they? <laughs> 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 that's just the you know the footballer um he's having a go at me i'm gonna 
stand up for myself, yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. not thinking. But you had Wally Lewis on the panel opposite him. Who, Again, another calamity. Yeah, but Wally actually, you know, landed a body blow by saying that neither he nor any other Australian captain had been given that luxury. Again, Mal. Yeah. Poor phrasing. And it gave Ken Arthurson the chance to say something like, he's the only one. All he had to say on television was, it's a lovely gesture. And basically for there, the rest of the interview was forgotten. And all the setup work he'd done to redeem <laughs> his public image, like he just doubled down on it. Look at it logically, right? They forked over, what, 5000 for his family to come. He didn't earn as much as they earned post-Super League in his career. No post-football provisions. His point is valid. Just again, yeah. terribly worded. <laughs> but probably the the controversy wouldn't have been as bad. Maybe there wouldn't have been a need for this Channel 7 appearance if it wasn't for the reaction of legends of the Australian Rugby League game. And that is the letter written by the three surviving immortals, John Raper, Reg Gasnier and Bob Fulton, addressing Mal's comments. John Raper, a guy I literally left the game with nothing. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm, I'm going to read this letter in full. So this was uh, published in the Sydney Morning Herald on the 21st of April. Dear Mal, our letter is triggered by your recent decision to step away from Rugby League's controlling body, the ARL, to join the Rebel League, and by the comments you were reported to have made at the Cronulla meeting last night that I played for 16 years and what have I got afterwards? Absolutely nothing. We know that in writing this letter we speak for the vast majority of kangaroo players. We would suggest that on one fact alone, your membership of one of the most exclusive sporting clubs in the world, the Kangaroos, you got plenty out of the game. And that's not to mention the testimonials and the many, many special areas of consideration that were afforded you over the years in your position as an elite Australian player and Australia's captain. Since 1908, fewer than 500 men in total have had the honour of being rugby league Kangaroos. The statistic is 18 tours in 86 years. Tragically, because of News Limited, there will be no more tours. All of us understandably wear the exclusive kangaroo badge with pride. Your recent 1994 campaign as captain was one of luxury, affluence and professionalism compared with many that went before. You flew business class, lived in high class international hotels and received a salary of £400 per week and received a healthy bonus payment totaling thousands of dollars at the conclusion of the tour. We saw your photograph in Rugby League Week signing a thousand limited editions of your kangaroo tour jersey. Those jerseys we read were for sale for $495 each. What do you imagine your signature would be worth if you were not a kangaroo, and you say you received nothing from representing your country? It wasn't so long ago that kangaroo team members travelled rough by boat, stayed in cold and remote hotels in Yorkshire villages, and were paid a pound or two a week. Did any of those players ever complain that they got nothing out of the game? If they did, we've never heard it. The men called kangaroos prefer to talk instead of the immense pride they had in representing their country in one of the world's greatest sporting contests. For all of us, that chance is deemed both a significant honour and a privilege in our lives. Mal, men have to choose their own paths in life, and you have chosen yours. This letter merely expresses our opinion that the substance of what you said at Cronulla and what you have chosen to do is completely alien to what we, your fellow kangaroos, believe. In line with the tradition of many years, our kangaroo reunion will be held in grand final week this coming September. We presume that after what you have publicly stated, you will not be joining us. Yours sincerely, the Immortals on behalf of Australia's proud kangaroos. Vicious. So a lot to unpack in that letter and the response. First thing to unpack is it's a very eloquent uh, prose that right now. Was that Bozo, Puff or Chook? Well, it was almost certainly written by Alan Jones. (laughs) Right. And yeah, had their names added to it. (laughs) So one thing, it does reek a bit of Michael O'Connor's I Never Got (laughs) $100,000. But also, you were given £400 a week, (laughs) slightly above the Australian average wage, (laughs) to be away from your family, not on this occasion, but presumably the previous ones, for three months at a time. (laughs) It's funny because having read the books of, you know, all these old blokes who toured on kangaroo tours staying at like the Ilkley Moor Hotel. Well, you can go back to our um, our, uh, Noel Ned Kelly interview with those great old stories about the tours, which you can find on our YouTube and archives, but Mm. they were tough tours. They were like literally burning furniture to keep warm. (laughs) Like, you know, sharing rooms, like, you know, 12 people gather around a small pot stove and, you know, (laughs) 
cooking beans or any other you know trifling thing they could afford. It was basically the start of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory <laughs> with the four in the bed. And they talk about this in their books. And they talk about the fact that officials would come on tour and stay in nice hotels. Yeah. And admit on some level that they were being dudded and, you know, it was good that the players had a better deal. But still this, like, romanticized view of, you know, like, yeah, we, we stayed in squalor, but uh, the chance to put the jersey on for the country, you know, and it's it's a noble sentiment, but, like, you guys got had, you know, like, you literally got nothing out of the game from a financial standpoint. But we saw like the game has been built on squeezing unreasonable output from the players yeah. for 100 years. Mm. And what Mal's trying to say is these other mob look like they're going to give us a bit more of a shake. Exactly. And what's disingenuous about that letter is the implication that Mal wasn't just as proud and viewed wearing that jersey as an honour. Like few wore it with more pride. What is the vibe now between Mal and the other immortals? Because... That, I can see that hurting him for life. I don't think it did. I, I think at, at some point, probably not long after, this was an era where despite the you know severed friendships we've spoken of, a lot was forgiven on both sides. I think there was a lot of, you know, I don't know if he ever got back in the good books with Johnny Raper. I don't know. I can see Chook over a couple of beers saying, mate, it's heat of the moment. Yeah, it's yeah. all been forgotten. Yeah, I, hope exactly. it, I hope it was. Yeah. Certainly with Bozo. Mal and Bozo had a long-standing relationship, yeah. uh, which we're going to talk about a bit later. And I think that that bond was stronger than what this letter could undo. That's good news. It's probably um, over a couple of beers. I mean, it was all Alan yeah. Jones, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and you did see them on stage shaking hands when Mal joined the Immortals a couple of years ago. I can't stand the thought of the Immortals not being mates. Yeah, yeah. So I say I don't know if Raper and Mal ever got back together uh, and I think part of that is that the vitriol was coming mostly from Raper. So at that meeting, as I said, he was the one that challenged Mal directly. Uh, so his comments were, I must have been over there on the Kangaroo Tour with a different team in October, Mal, because the ARL couldn't have done more for you. I'm very disappointed in you. I'm very ashamed that the News Limited organisation is using you as a tool. What was Raper even doing there at Cronulla? Well, he, he lived in the area and it was, was well known to frequent the joint. Right, okay. Um, but also, like, he was an ARL selector at that point. Like, he was active. Right, he had an game. official. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, so, yeah. So he, he was just sort of, like, hanging around and, like, well, I'll pop in here. And yeah, yeah. No, he was, he was at the forefront of the right. fight in this era. Not that he hasn't got the right to be there. It's just, like, it seems odd being yeah. at, him being at Cronulla. And so, uh, Malmanenga answered Raper's criticism by saying, I never said I didn't appreciate playing under the ARL banner. I just think players deserve to be paid properly and have something when they finish. Super League are talking about a superannuation package which would give us money to invest in business. Arthurson joined the pile on by saying, Mal, we had three testimonial dinners for you, all paid for by the ARL. <laughs> the testimonial dinner is the cure-all for all that ails you in rugby league. And this is something that should have got more coverage. <laughs> News Limited should have used this to their advantage. Mal's talking about superannuation, looking after players long after they retire. Arco's saying, we'll, we'll, we'll throw a testimonial <laughs> dinner. <laughs> I've heard of testimonials being mentioned for Cameron Smith. Yeah. Why are we still having testimonials? Mm. Here at this point in 1995, it's sweet, it's quaint. I, I think we covered the Cameron Smith testimonial when we were doing the weekly show, but they have no place in <laughs> <laughs> this decade, this, this century. Imagine if, imagine if LeBron had a testimonial. <laughs> and it wasn't just Mal that Rape had turned his attention to. So uh, this was one quote in the Rugby League Week. I'm not jealous about the amount of money these players will be getting, but they have shown a lack of respect and loyalty to the game. The ARL have looked after the players, particularly the representative players, but in a blink of an eye, they've sold out for a quick buck. How can you trust them after they've done this? Rugby league can do without being run by power mongers who are not interested in the game. I hate to break it to you, mate. It's uh, always <laughs> been run by power mongers. <laughs> and this was my um, probably my favourite raper invective. Talking about Graham Murray's role with trying to convince Illawarra to sign, he claimed that Murray was guilty of treason, <laughs> should not be allowed to attend Steelers games, and biggest of all, should be banned from the Illawarra Leagues Club. <laughs> Surely if you lead with treason, <laughs> the others, you know, you could probably do it out. Oh, that's genius. So Raper was certainly the most vocal of the, the three. 
Gaznia seems to have largely stayed out of the fight beyond. That's pure Gaznia, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. The interesting one is Bozo, who, as we said, had a long-standing relationship with them. Uh, Mal Meninga said, My first impression of Bob as a coach was that he was very good. Not in the Bennett class, but still very good. However, the more I got to know him, the more I appreciated just how thorough and effective he was. He really is in the top bracket. I've always said that Wayne Bennett and Tim Sheens were the most influential coaches in my career, but Bob comes in a very close third. As a child, whatever team he coached, there's this confidence you had when Fulton was at mm. the helm. I mean, obviously coaching Australia isn't that difficult a job, but when he was at Manly, it was like, oh, geez, we're playing Manly. Yeah. He just instilled confidence. Yeah, I mean, took ace to grand final. Yeah, like underrated as a coach almost. And he certainly uh, tempered his criticism of Mal in Roy Masters' book the following year coming out and saying that his situation was different to Raper and Gaznia because he was involved with Mal day to day. They didn't know him to the extent that he did. Which leads to the question, why put your name to the letter? I think they're easily swayed, these blokes, though. Let me ask you this question, can of worms type question. Wouldn't matter what race the bloke was, what he said, what he's been lambasted, but uh, what do you think about the racial element to it? I mean, I didn't read anything. Not from those guys, from the public. No, I mean, even everything I read, I didn't really see anything like that. To be honest, I don't think it's a factor in this case. I tend to agree. I think from rugby league people, that is. I don't know about... The public, but so in some some respect, you can see it as as being a bit treacherous of Bozo to to sign that note when he had such a close relationship without going to the extent of speaking to Mal about it in advance. I don't hold anything against anyone that signed it. Heat in the moment. I, I, don't, I don't either, but I just have to put this out there, and I think Bozo's uh, explanation of it is worth repeating. After that meeting, I had the complete and utter shits because I only knew what was put in the papers. The Mal said he got nothing out of the game. I wasn't at the meeting. I'd spoken to Chook about it and Chook said, oh, we should write a letter. And I said, you get something done up and I'll have a look at it. It was there and I had a look and I thought, that sounds all right. So I signed it and it was sent off. And I don't know how it got in the paper. (laughs) As far as I was concerned, it was a letter between Mal and myself. And the next thing, it's in the Herald. I've got no idea how it was published. And I'm sure John and Reg Gazinger didn't either. But it was on the ARL letterhead. So it wouldn't be too hard to get your hands on it. I signed that. It might have been that second week. It was when all the hustle and bustle was on. We were trying to sign players. It was put on front of me and I signed it. Can't read all the reports, you know. <laughs> Is there a more rugby league answer than that? <laughs> but, I mean, I call utter BS on yeah. that. I mean, for a start... Is there anything that was written more in open letter format than that letter? <laughs> and you know any letter of Rugby League is automatically an open letter anyway. Yeah, yeah exactly. Couldn't read it though. I mean, too busy. And he did go on to say that if he had his time over, he wouldn't have signed the letter. He would have spoken to Mal direct. He did the war. Yeah. Chernobyl, as you said. Yeah. And um, Mal's got no recourse for anything that come his way. You open your mouth like that, yeah. come what may. These guys, they're Rugby League hotheads. And if you're talking about it as a war, it would have been... It's like a political thing. If you're in opposition and you don't capitalise on a gaffe, yeah. then a gaffe's not a gaffe. You know, yeah. you have to get mileage out of it. <laughs> and they certainly got mileage. Luckily for Mal, there's plenty more to come. <laughs> uh, so, as I said, I, I do think they uh, quickly got over it and moved on with their relationship. In defence of Mal, he came up under Wally as a Queensland captain, Australian captain, ultimate gaffe merchant himself. Like, Mal's learnt from, from the best. <laughs> uh, and... This quote from Bob Fulton, uh, really uh, expansive, gets to the heart of their relationship. I think the best way I can sum up Mal Meninga is to say that he's a good bloke. (laughs) He's a good bloke, though. Yeah. And you could see that that letter hurt Mal. And why wouldn't it? You know, three immortals publicly denouncing you, you know, and in effect kicking you out of their exclusive club. That's cruel, yeah. Uh, But to his credit, he didn't back down from the substance of what he said in his book. So obviously he wrote it with Alan Clarkson. So you had someone who could put his hot-headed thoughts into thoughtful words. Uh, He wrote this. I'd actually been trying to get across the serious point that professional sports people are often left ill-equipped for their next career when they're finished with football. That's something which, if I'd said it properly, John Raper would surely have understood. Well put, but it's like what annoys me is the audacity of Arthurson and the ARL after exploiting these blokes for so many years to pile on, you know? Yeah. There were enough other people piling on for Arthurson to have maybe stayed out of it a bit more than he did. 
But again, it goes back to what we've been saying for the last two chapters. You can't really have any personal recriminations about anything in this war, especially yeah. at this point in the war. Look, it was that obnoxious, the comment. Yeah. It's hard to defend it, right? Yeah. But uh, I would love to have seen the immortals, not bring the immortals into it. Mm. To me, that's sacred. Yeah. Well, it wasn't immortal then, but you're soon to be immortal. Yeah. I mean, it really is one of the holy port promotions, so <laughs> we, we should not be sacrosanct to that. If anyone can respect port, it's Johnny Raper. <laughs> Think about it. So the reaction was widespread throughout the game with people on both sides weighing in. John Rebo made a valid point when he commented on the ban that the Immortals <laughs> effectively tried to put on Mal by saying, I'm a kangaroo and they're speaking for me without my approval. The league bosses having to come out and say, in no way, shape or form, should this be read as a ban on Mal Manga <laughs> attending the kangaroo reunion. You want to talk about a record skipping moment, John Rebo walking into the kangaroos <laughs> reunion that year, Jesus. Think about how much vitriol Rebo would have got if he wasn't an ex kangaroo. Yeah. <laughs> like on top yeah. of what he actually got. If he was a David Smith executive. Yeah, exactly. Forget about it. And so the, the response of Super League from this point was to completely sideline Malmeninga. So there were, were no more, you know, public addresses. Well, I've got to say, as a lazy person, it's a great way to get out of any duties. But funnily enough, we go back to the Blitzkrieg and that whiteboard, which listed potential weaknesses as Malmeninga. And that weakness wasn't made explicit. But I wonder if they brought him on board and found those deficiencies in, you know, in terms of having him as their spokesman. But this is the thing, right? I always saw him as quite intelligent. Like, there's a lot of dumb footballers out there that you wouldn't want representing. I always found him... To seem quite with it. Yeah. As a during the nineties, whatever. It's just his public speaking has let him down. Yeah, exactly. And I guess if they were thinking of him being used in that role, maybe they were having second thoughts. Maybe they knew something we didn't with the whiteboard. Still they let him go out there and put a Uzi to his own feet. Yeah. But the ARL, to their credit, they realised that this antagonism between them and Mal wasn't helping anyone and attempted quite quickly to smooth the waters. And one of the things they did was to invite him to the grand final as part of the parade of legends they were putting on to commemorate the end of the Winfield Cup era. As fans, though, it wasn't helping. It was like watching your parents fight. Yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah. no, I know, like, Christ. Mm. And so I think it was in that spirit that invitation was sent out. And, you know, Ian Heads wrote, Mal Meninga has been invited back into the fold on grand final day. Meninga's ready acceptance of the invitation is a pleasing feature of a day in which the focus will be on pure football, as it should be. And that should have been the end of it, except that Mal then went and declined the invitation. This led to speculation from the press that he had been lent on by News Limited to not be there in attendance. And I think there's something to that. So at the National Press Club, in the lead up to grand final week, Mal was giving his speech. Uh, and again, it was a much better performance than that night at Cronulla League's Club in April. So I think you can put that down to months of hopefully some media training, having a less hostile room, being able to say something that was prepared and something that he could think about, not just fly off the handle. But that's the footballer mentality. They're trained to not back down. Yeah. When there's a hostile environment, they respond yeah, poorly. Exactly. But I've got to say, he did handle the question time at that speech quite well. There were no gaffes or anything there, except for the point that he was asked about the non-appearance at the grand final that week. Uh, and his reasoning was, well, the Raiders aren't playing and I've lost interest in the grand final. But more importantly, the school holidays start Saturday and I certainly want to be there with my family. And they've decided they didn't want to go to the football either because the Raiders aren't playing. And I think they take precedence over anything the ARL does. Where that falls apart is it was being reported before the Raiders lost that Mal was no longer attending the game. Right. So it's just, reading that was sad. That should have been a nice end to the saga. Mal there on grand final day. I'm on this side, you're on that side, but we can both celebrate what we achieved together for a long period of time. Yeah, it's not the end of the world though, is it? It's not the end of the world, but you know. I'm just glad that he had that awesome run with the... Queensland team and the kangaroos. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's... Now he's back to being the living legend. Exactly. So in light of all this, I wanted to look not only at the reaction from the Immortals, but the rest of their contemporaries to see what the old players at the time were thinking about Super League. And it wouldn't surprise you to know that 
the dominant sentiment was anti-Super League. And you could see that in the earliest weeks of the campaign when John Singleton was recruited to put some ads together supporting the ARL and got some old players together for the campaign. And so one of the speakers that John Singleton got on board was Rex Mossop. And can you hazard a guess as to where Rex Mossop stood <laughs> on the war? Where does he stand on? What is him as revenge? <laughs> so the ad campaign had the theme, you can't buy our game, Mr. Murdoch. Uh, in Mike Coleman's book, he writes, in typical form, Rex Mossop threw away the script because he felt it wasn't strong enough and wrote his own. <laughs> Uh, from a Sherlock column. Word from the Singletonian Institute is that the moose, while roaring, ripped the original script into four million pieces and then wrote his own words, in blood with a piece of wire ripped from a barbed wire fence. With a fury unmatched since the last Schwarzenegger movie, he attacks that American Murdoch, the Pope, Mother Teresa, the Easter Bunny, Santa Claus, Humphrey B. Bear, Ricky Stewart, and his entire family, Daly Messenger for starting it all, and the Queen Mother. <laughs> so that ad never actually went to air. The Sun Herald reported not because the league was unhappy with the ad, but just because they were hoping for peace and did not want to inflame the situation. Well, if I was going for peace, Rex Mossett would, <laughs> wouldn't be the guy I sent forward. So Rex, uh, talking about the situation at large, said that he was crippled with frustration with what was happening with Super League. He said, I'm totally frustrated. For the first time in my life, I find myself unable to do anything about something that angers me enormously. <laughs> So joining John Rebo with a disease of the spine with his crippling frustration. <laughs> that comment there sums him up. It's all about him and how he feels yeah. and like the classic bloke. But then he did go on to say that he thought that uh, politicians should intervene saying, I believe there's the winning of an election in this thing, but not one of them has the guts to get on the bandwagon and make the issue his own. <laughs> like you can just imagine like, you know, Labor trying to turn the tide and riding to victory in the 96 election on the back of like banning Super League. <laughs> it would have worked. <laughs> it would have too. And you could also see the old players get involved with the Stop Murdoch Now rally, which took place at Sydney Town Hall, in which over 2,000 people appeared to hear various politicians as well as old players like Norm Proven speak out against Super League. This is what annoys me. This is using the legends of the game to what I consider a knee-jerk reaction when you let Packer ride roughshod over it for years and don't say a word. That's what frustrated me and I couldn't do anything about it like Rex. <laughs> but Norm, for his part, uh, was a willing participant in the fight. Gentleman is gentleman. This is part of his speech at that town hall meeting. We've got a fight on our hands like no other fight we've ever had before. If you and I lobby hard enough, fight hard enough, and if we can get at the politicians, we can win. First and foremost, I will not support an unloyal club, but I have no arguments against the players who have gone across. But let me stress, there can't be any compromise in the control of the game. The ARL must run the game. And that summed up a lot of the talk amongst the old players, that even those who saw merit in the concept, uh, the likes of Brett Kenny, Ian Walsh, they both came out vocally supporting the idea of a Super League with the proviso that it had to be ARL run. Very fair points, and you can't argue with it. But we've gone through over the last three chapters. The ARL was running the game poorly. Yeah. <laughs> Probably one of the saddest uh, moments in the whole saga was Bob McCarthy, who said that in the wake of Super League, he turned his back on the game and was heading down to Coogee on a Saturday Arvo to watch Randwick play Rugby Union. Disgusting, isn't it? Poor bloke. I used to live in Coogee and I'd often go pay the $2 entry fee just to buy a sausage sizzle and walk out. <laughs> but besides the hardline ARL supporters, there was a lot of nu nuance in the way some people were talking. And one of the most impressive ones to me was Joe Chimpy Bush, who at that time was Australia's oldest living kangaroo. He took yeah. with the team in the early 30s. Legendary name too. And you'd think that he would be, you know, old school of all old school and, you know, adamant against Super League. But he came out and said that he didn't have any problem with Australian players turning their back on test jerseys in favour of signing with Super League for money. And in fact, how could he when he did the same thing by going to England and taking a contract there? thus ending his Australian playing career. And this is a guy from the era that was looking at the 1950s players like spoiled brats. Yeah. <laughs> and you have to remember, we lost a generation of potential Australian greats in the 40s, players going over to England, Arthur Clues, Vic Hay, Harry Bath, the list goes on. Yeah, Players who 
either cut their Australian careers early or never got the chance to play for Australia because they took the better money on offer in England. You have to remember that Rex Mossop himself <laughs> left Rugby Union to take up a role with Rugby League in England. Absolutely. And I, I love this quote from Chimpy Bush. I say good luck to all of them because they're now set for life after football. I remember when we played Castleford and the cast players were promised an extra two pounds if they beat us and they tried to kill us. <laughs> Can you imagine those old kangaroo tours going through like north of England playing a club side and their their local hardhead wanting to get a reputation by taking the head off yeah, yeah. your best yeah. player? Like <laughs> it would have been mayhem. <laughs> Every time a ex first grader played in the Newcastle comp, yeah. they'd all try and kill him. <laughs> I really liked this quote from Frank Hyde, who was another who spoke with uh, nuance and, and an understanding of the concept of Super League. 30 odd years ago, I wrote and said that the expansion and best interests of rugby league were not being served by the retention of so many clubs in Sydney. That's when we had 12 teams in the first grade competition. Little did I realise that the day would dawn when the competition was extended to 20 teams and would largely be those new teams which would be frontrunners in bringing about the current untenable situation in which the established rugby league finds itself. See, that's common sense and yeah. proper thought process. I mean, what we need in the game, less yeah. emotion, more yeah. thought. Exactly. You can count on five uh, fingers the amount of people in the game over 100 years like him. Yeah. Where Frank Hyde went against the Super League concept was a distaste for how much it was about money when he was like very much a future of the game kind of guy. Yeah. So among the handful of players who vocally supported Super League, you had Noel Kelly who basically took shots at whoever was in front of him, <laughs> didn't really have uh, much allegiance, but had strong criticism for the way the ARL was running the game. Uh, and when there was uh, a head of judiciary position up for grabs at Super League, he said he, he might apply, saying due to his many appearances before the judiciary... <laughs> I know about it better than anybody. If I was the boss, there'd be plenty of blokes left on the paddock. <laughs> Gotta love that guy. Uh, so his old kangaroo teammate, Kevin Ryan, was also, you know, had been at loggerheads with the league for a number of years. We saw in our interview with him that he and Quayle basically fell out terminally over the draft issue in the early 90s. He was being considered for that judiciary post, so he was someone who was certainly amenable to Super League. I think he would have been a great yeah. appointee. Uh, the one that really annoyed the league establishment was Graham Langlands, who filmed an ad for Super League in 1996. I mean, if that isn't Chang to a T. Yeah. And what really upset the league about it was... From the Philippines? Or? He came back from the Philippines. <laughs> but th this is kind of where, it, where the league got angered about it. So because he was not an Australian resident, he didn't have Medicare to cover his medical and hospital expenses. He had to come back... For a back operation, the league foot the bill for like the whole thing. God. And then he's come back and did the, the Super League promotion, which like you could tell that they just offered him some money. I don't think he like thought passionately about Super League. I think he just, you know. It's not polite to speak ill of the dead, but is this bloke one of the worst blokes in the history of the game? Or? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> every story is about him being a nightmare. So in 1997, he was asked more about his Super League allegiance because he took a job then as a recruitment officer for Canberra. And obviously with all his loyal St. George men on the other side, it was viewed as some kind of betrayal. And he said, basically, well, I was coming back from the Philippines. I needed a job. There was nothing doing at the Dragons, which I could understand, but I still needed a job. So I took this well, one. Nothing wrong with that. There's something wrong with having your back paid for and then doing it out against them. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, he was asked how his mate Johnny Raper would take it. And Langland's response was, Chook seems to be blowing up a lot these days. He had a bit to say when I was involved in the promotion for Super League's Anzac Day test. I don't know. He might blow up, but he'll get over it in a couple of days. <laughs> so Mal, to his credit, expressed regret for the way his comments came out, but stayed vocally and passionately committed to the Super League cause. He didn't back down from the substance of anything he was saying. And you mentioned it earlier, but I think it is not only a fitting end, but so important for rugby league that those bridges, are, you know, long mended and he's back as just an undisputed legend of the game. There are a few people who still hold something like this against him. I never think about it. No. To me, like the game's pretty much healed, 99% healed. There's the odd hole out. 
North Sydney fans that won't go to the game. Yeah. Gus Gould. Just there's the odd anomaly, but I think the game's pretty much healed. Yeah. But I was in two minds as to whether to end on this note. Partially because I didn't want to dismiss the argument that Mal Meninga was making and to take away from the substance of what he was saying. I ultimately chose to end with this quote because I think this is more representative of what Malmaning really thinks about rugby league and what it's given him. This was from his book, Meninga. I'm a very lucky man to have chosen the game of rugby league as my sport. It's been so good to me and given me opportunities I could not have dreamed of when I first picked up a football back in Queensland in the early 60s. I'm grateful for all the friendships I've made, from the guys at the Police Academy back in the 70s, at South in Brisbane between 79 and 85, and at the Raiders from 1986, and in the Queensland and Australian teams between 79 and 94. I'm proud to have met many of the great and famous people I've been introduced to through rugby league, and I've appreciated being in a position to help many people within and outside the game who have been far less fortunate in life than me. Rugby league truly is the greatest game of all. No other game offers as much to its players and fans. I've enjoyed being a part of it as a player, and I hope I'll still be a part of it in some shape or form for many, many years to come. If that does happen, I'll continue to be a very lucky man. That's beautiful. Should have said that the first time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And that is the end of this chapter. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed it. If there is anyone who still does hold it against Mal please let us know your reasoning. Um, Our book plug for the week is not Meninga's book, which is a very good book in its own right, but I've actually gone with the other key book written about Mal Meninga, and that's Meninga from Superstar to Super League, written by John McDonald. Uh, This version is uh, an update of the book that originally came out, I think, in 1990. Uh, So this covers the Super League saga as well as his 94 Kangaroo Tour, uh, and as a result, gets a lot of great interviews and, and really insightful comments about all of this and everything else to do with Mal's involvement in Super League. To sum it up, it was a heat of the moment gaff. Cuddly was still talking about it this many years later. Mm. Let's forgive the guy, move on. The game's much bigger than this. Amen. Uh, so with that, we will speak to you next week. Toodaloo. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.